0: You're listening to The Fallout with Joey Semmel and Drew Gillis. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome into The Fallout. We are back with another episode. This one follows our normal structure a little more, but we're going to have our standout guest Keith Scales, and we're going to continue our discussion about the Black Lives Matter movement.
1: Yep. Another interview with the same focus uh, this episode, which I'm looking forward to again. Uh, Glad we can do it. Uh, A guy we both played with, actually
0: played baseball with for a couple of years. Um, Yeah, looking forward to that. And on the topic of baseball, because Keith is a pitcher, um, let's just transition here to the MLB. So talks continue, but we kind of see it the same way. It doesn't really matter which way the talks go just get something done. Both sides are going to have to concede something, get it done.
1: Yeah, I'm tired of the players coming back with every proposal being like we want all our salary for more games than you want to play.
0: Like, okay, what? but I'm tired of the owners saying let's take away the deal that we agreed to. Let's take away 50% of your salary or 30% of your salary. That's kind of a ridiculous ass. Oh, no,
1: it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy, but who has leverage here? The players. I'd argue against that. No. There's no there's
0: no season without any players.
1: There's no season if they can't agree with the owners either, though. And I, the owners are the ones that are funding the games. How's it going to go down? I mean, they uh, honestly, okay, let's put it this way. It's not really like either side has a lot of leverage right now. They both have to come to some sort of agreement, and neither of them want to do it, which is infuriating as a baseball fan.
0: It's so frustrating. And you look at the NBA and how quickly they were able to get a deal done, and the NHL and how quickly they were able to get a deal done, and you look at the MLB, it looks awful. Granted, The, the optics different. are terrible, and it's, it's so much different. It's different because but it's
1: a full season rather than and, and ending a season. But, but, I mean, look at the way the NBA did it. I mean, the NHL, we don't give them enough credit for how they did it. They did it without us even noticing, basically. They were like... Was quick and easy. Here's our proposal. Ding, 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 Painless. ding. NBA was like, here are a couple ideas. Uh, we're going to vote on him. Oh, okay. Uh, 29 we're to one final this one.
0: vote. And then the, um, the players agreed to it almost unanimous, yeah. unanimously as well. Made it so, so simple. It's easy for the NBA. It's not for the MLB because the owners and the players have been so far apart for so many years. And, You look at this, and then you combine it with a potential lockout coming up. Uh, It's not a great look for the MLB, but we'll leave it at that, because we, at at its basis, we agree. Just get a deal done. We're not on either side of it. Just get it done. So you have an action-packed episode for you guys. As we mentioned, we have Key Scales, who just graduated, but was a pitcher at Worcester Polytechnic Institute up by U. Drew, in Boston. Um, But before we do that, we're going to get rolling with – the NBA, and its plan to resume, and then we're going to close the episode out with our continued coverage of the NFL and going division by division, giving our predictions. So let's jump right in with the rollout. Drew, live sports are back. Yeah, baby. NBA has an official plan to return to play. It's going to involve 22 teams playing on a common site in Orlando at Disney World. Wide world of sports. Seriously, like who thought this is where we were going to be with the NBA playoffs in 2020? But it's going to involve nine teams from the Eastern Conference, the eight teams in the playoffs, and the Washington Wizards. And how
1: many in the West? How many teams in the West?
0: 13 playoff teams (laughs) in the West. I guess not playoff teams, but 13 teams going to that site in Orlando in the Western Conference. So here's how it's going to look. Everyone's going to play eight games. After those eight games, if the team who's in ninth place is within four games of the team who's in eighth place in each conference, they're going to play a play-in tournament between those two teams. How that play-in tournament's going to look is the team who's in ninth place needs to win twice in a row before the team who's in eighth place wins once. So the NBA has done a good job of making sure that it's going to be hard for that team in eighth place to lose that final playoffs. Absolutely, yeah. So yes, it's very complicated, but it needs to be, because you have to give that team who's in eighth place a good shot to get in. We talked last week about the Western Conference and um, the Trailblazers and the Pelicans, who we think have the best shot of getting in, but currently there are four teams within four games of that last spot who theoretically have a shot to catch them. It's going to be hard for the Spurs to jump three teams, but it is possible, um, even in those eight games. So lot of fun in the Western Conference. Eastern Conference won't be as interesting. And I got to ask, do you think the Wizards, currently five and a half out, have any chance of making the playoffs?
1: Yes, I do. And I have two words of why. Can I guess them? Go ahead. Go ahead and try to guess these two words. Bradley and Beal? Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal. Yes. Absolute tear since he didn't get into the All-Star game. 36.5 points a game since the All-Star break. That's insane. I mean, that's that's MVP numbers if he plays for a team that isn't the Washington Wizards. The point being, though, who did the Magic have right now that is anything close to that? Who do the Nets have in seventh that are only half a game above the Magic? Who do they have anywhere close to that? Spencer Dinwiddie is the closest guy off of those two teams to make a run at a guy like Bradley Beal. It's not close. Okay,
0: Nikola Vucevic is better than Spencer Dinwiddie. He's not better than Bradley Beal. He's not close to Bradley Beal, but... He's better than Spencer Dinwiddie, and he deserves more credit than he gets. But
1: Fine, but we're, can we talk about a guy that can put up 35 in a to, game? To
0: your point, I, I want to believe you. I want to say so hard, I think the Wizards have a chance to get in. And, you know, the more I look at it, the more I think it's possible. <laughs> they only have to beat the Magic or the Nets. And let me remind you, the Nets aren't going to have Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant. They only have to beat them by two games. Yep, two games. That's not that many just to get that chance um, to get into that play-in tournament. I mean,
1: think about it. Wizards go, let's say four and four. Nets go two and six. It's possible, and that's possible. You five know, and
0: three or three and five. I, I want to give you a stat about the magic and why I think it's possible they catch the magic. We talked about it. You, you look at those like last fifteen games before the Wizards play or before the season got suspended. Wizards play to the level of every opponent they play. Only one of those losses was outside of 11 points, and I know 11 points feels like a lot, but in the NBA, that's not a lot. The Orlando Magic's record against teams 500 and above, the majority of which who they'll be playing uh, in Orlando, and I guess they're at home. So big advantage there for the Magic uh, that true, we have to true, true. consider. But 5-26. and 5-26 and 26 against teams above 500. They beat up teams below 500, 25-9. So they don't beat good teams. So if they do get in they'll get blown out by the Bucks but that's besides the point. The Wizards have a shot.
1: This 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 shows to me that the Wizards have a shot to make that two-game tournament. But if they're up against the Magic they don't have a chance because they're under 500. So I know it's really easy to look at that stat and just say, "Well, because the Magic are so good against teams under 500 that the Wizards have no chance." Honestly, the Wizards are a worse team anyways. But two words. And when it comes down to those two games, the two words might be all that matter. And the two words are still Bradley Beal. I mean, he's that dynamic of a player. He can, I think, we haven't seen it yet, but I think he can carry that team past two games against a mediocre opponent in
0: the Magic. I agree. And they've been better lately. I mean, the defense got better when they essentially swapped uh, Isaiah Thomas for Shabazz Napier, Mm -hmm. albeit a small bit better um but thomas bryant's had time to get healthy Bratons was a little banged up he had time to get healthy so do they have a shot yes but there are a lot of hoops to jump through if you're the nine seed so i don't know if any nine seed has a good shot because it's that difficult to get in but yes they have a shot so i want to transition now to talking about some of the favorites in each conference to start with the east i think it's a no-brainer it is it's the bucks conference to lose yep I mean, any sleepers you see who maybe have a shot to catch them?
1: I kind of like the heat just because of the way their team plays together. Uh, the Bucks, one of their main points of focus is their team rather than just their star players. When Giannis is off the floor, they still succeed. And that doesn't really make too much sense to me because their main guy when he's off the floor is Chris Middleton, who can't run ISO f- to save his life. Right. So you, you know they play team basketball. The only other team on here that I really think fully has committed to team basketball is the Miami Heat, and they've committed with massive amounts of defense. The Heat have managed to go 2-0 and against the Bucs, Adebayo being a great matchup against Antetokounmpo. I was going to say, easily the yeah. best
0: matchup in the conference. But, uh, but think about it this way,
1: real quick. They've gone 2-0 and against a team that is 6.5 games above anyone else in their conference. Right. So the Heat may not play as well against other teams, but against the Bucs, when it counts, I'll take those odds. I mean, no one else is close. That's the thing. No one else is close. So I'm going to pick the matchups.
0: I want to give you a team that I think has been underrated the entire season. It's the Indiana Pacers. I mean, you look at that team and you look at what they have. You want to talk about a group who plays team basketball? No one averages more than uh, 18 points a game. TJ Warren with 18.7 DeMontis DeBonis, most underrated player in the league except for Bradley Beal, 18 and a half and also gives him 12 and a half rebounds and five assists. Um, Oladipo was banged up and it wasn't himself, but this break, he's essentially had an off season <laughs> to become healthy. So you add in Oladipo to that group and I think they can do some damage. So I agree. I think that four, the winner of that 4-5 matchup, which is where these two teams are, is dangerous. It could give the Bucks a little bit of a run for their money and if the Bucs can get through it, I think they'll... Run through whoever they have in the Eastern Conference Finals, but
1: Pacers do have a really good starting five, but with no star player, I think it's going to be tough. And I'd put Jimmy Butler into that star player category, and I put Bam pretty a, close.
0: Sabonis is a star player. You, you got a guy averaging eighteen, twelve, and five. I'm
1: worried about. I'm worried about Sabonis against Giannis
0: down low. I put it that I, way. Miles Turner guard Giannis first of all, um, but by the way, I will say I think. Bam Adebayo is the best foil for Giannis yes. in, the, in the East. Yes. Followed by probably Ben Simmons. Yes. And then third, though, is Maybe Embiid. Embiid has his number. Same team. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Third, though, I'm giving to Miles Turner, who is a great defender, works his ass off. Um, so Pacers, really good team. But I don't want to take too much time for this because we agree it's the Bucks going to be the to lose. It's got to be. So let's transition to the West. Give me your favorite from the Western Conference.
1: Got to be the Lakers. This one's closer, obviously. There are contenders here. There's some interesting teams in there. I mean, who knows what the Rockets are going to look like in the playoffs with the small ball experiment, but I'm going to take the best one-two combo and I'm going to take the, I think, most likely MVP of the league, LeBron James. I'm going to take the one-two combo with him and AD, and I'm going to take that team all the way. I think they win the whole thing.
0: I hear you, and I think the Lakers have a really good shot, but I'm going to take the team they play with in the same stadium as – Go with the Clippers. Um, I understand Clippers five and a half back right now in the playoffs. I get it. I think the Clippers have the deepest roster in basketball. Yes. And I'm not sure it's that close. I mean. The Bucks make a run for
1: their money on that one. But I don't think anyone else challenges them in terms of depth. And I mean, you know as well as I do, the Lakers don't pride themselves on depth. They, they don't. The Lakers pride themselves on LeBron James being able to make anyone a higher caliber and, and, player than they actually are. And getting the
0: most out of those bench players yes. who are essentially washed-up veterans. Looking at you, Dwight Howard. Looking at you, JaVale McGee. Looking at you, uh, Rajon Ronda. I, I can keep going if you need me to. Um, but even Danny Green. But the um, point is, you look at this team, they, they have four people averaging more than 18 points a game, the Clippers. That's hard to guard. I mean, two of them don't start. That's even harder to guard. I mean, you look at Harrell and Williams off the bench. They're going to finish 1-2 in the six-man race, and one of them is the seventh man. Um, <laughs> so so that, that's pretty scary right there. But I also want to point out Paul George had only played 42 games, and they weren't a healthy 42 games. He was playing less than 30 minutes a game. He was banged up all year long. He's had an off-season to get healthy. And can I remind you what Paul George did last year? He just casually finished third in the MVP race, averaging 28 points a game when he was healthy. And that was when he didn't have Kawhi Leonard on his team. And you want to talk a good foil for guarding Giannis? How about Kawhi? He did it last year in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kawhi dragged that team to the championship and beat the Warriors, who are as good, if not better, than any team in the league this year. And... Kawhi has a better roster around him this time around. All
1: of that's true. I, I mean, it's, it's going to be close. I think they're the two teams to look out for the most. It's going to be close. What pushes it over the edge for me is just looking at the one-two. And, I, and I, know, I know you might disagree on this because you think Paul George can be what he was last year. I think Paul George and can I be do what he was last year. I don't believe in the fit. They haven't proven that the fit works. First of all, I don't think they've proven that the fit works. Second, LeBron James... I think this league's MVP this year. Anthony Davis is by far the best big man in the league. That one, too, is just ridiculous. I hear you.
0: Who who on their team is going to guard AD? I mean, George or Kawhi can do it, frankly. But um, especially a healthy Paul George. Healthy Paul George is a top five defender in the NBA. It's
1: tough for them to guard AD, man. He's an animal. Kawhi, He's Kawhi, a different beast. Kawhi is
0: the best defender in the NBA. Yes, but Kawhi um, will be on LeBron, and LeBron will be on Kawhi. So I want to point out, though, is maybe I'll give you the one-two. I think it's closer than you think it is. Um, But it really is a one-two, and it stops. Yes. (laughs) I I mean, LeBron and uh, Anthony Davis combined for over 50 points a game. Impressive. Their next leading scorer is Kyle Kuzma, averaging a remarkably inefficient, by the way, 12.5 points per game. Take
1: Kuzma out of the equation here. I I think he's one of the most overrated and just but that's terrible players he's in the league. He's
0: the third leading scorer on their team. I know,
1: but here's what I want to point towards is so, efficiency over scoring. So, because, okay, hang
0: like, on, LeBron and AD run the
1: show, and everyone knows that. But you have a veteran, KCP, who is kind of a joke in the league at this point. This year, he's not. He's shooting 40% from three. You have Danny for, Green on the bench, doing what Danny Green does. I, you have I just want to point out. playing most of his minutes in the fourth quarter in the clutch and playing well, actually, like kind of doing his job. He doesn't put up numbers, but the dude makes his presence felt. And that's, I know that's a bad argument most of the time, but for him, it actually checks out.
0: I just want to point out, and you're going to be mad when I say this the three players you just named all have player efficiency ratings around 11, and 15 is average. They <laughs> and don't, they don't need to have a high efficiency rating, though. But you want, you, that's you're, not you're making role. my point. You're, you're making my point, right? You just whipped out Contavious, Caldwell, Pope. Danny Green, who I think is great in his role, don't get me wrong, and Alex Caruso, whereas I'm sitting here looking at uh, not only – Harrell, and Williams, but it goes on. Shamit was better of late. Marcus Morris is a legit NBA player. He's not a star, but he's a quality starter, and they can use him off the bench too if they need to, depending on what lineup they want to go with. Zubach plays his role. I mean, Patrick Beverly uh, is another guy who's probably a top 10 defender in the league. This roster is so, so deep. They just have weapons coming from everywhere, and I just don't know how the Lakers keep up. We're talking about the playoffs. You don't
1: need weapons from everywhere first of all. But second, these are two different offenses entirely. On the Clippers, you can go to seven or eight guys and rely on scoring in iso basically. The Lakers, that's not the case, but you have the best passer in the league. You have the best passer in the league. I mean, that count it's not just the best passer in the league, it's the best arguably the best player in the league who also is the best passer in the league. So he will draw three guys to him every time he dribbles inside. And then dish out to pick your poison. You got Danny Green. You got a 40% KCP. You got Kuzma who can actually hit catch and shoot threes. He can't hit anything else and he loves to take other shots. I hate you, Kuzma. But he can hit catch and shoot threes. (laughs) He sucks. He sucks. But he can hit catch and shoot threes. And that's all this offense revolves around
0: is catch and shoot threes. ISO with LeBron, and sometimes ISO with AD, especially when LeBron's off the floor. I hear you on those catch-and-shoot threes. The difference when you play a team like the Clippers, who, by the way, beat the Lakers two out of three times this year. They did. Um, When you play a team like this, you don't really have to help off of any of those guys, right? Because you sit there and you trust Kawhi and Paul George to do their jobs and Patrick Beverly to do their jobs on ball. I mean, Patrick Beverly... Has gone at guys much much bigger than him and given them trouble. I mean, you I saw mean, you
1: saw what Pat Bev did to LeBron, right? In the game-ending play, right?
0: Yeah, it can happen again in the playoffs. and I don't know why it wouldn't, but I also uh, I also want to point out like this roster just goes forever. But I you mean, know you added, know as well as added, I do, this doesn't
1: matter in the playoffs. It does. It it. You does. just said two episodes ago. When was the last
0: time you watched the playoffs? Depth does not matter. I I don't think it matters in most cases. I don't. When you have a team like the Lakers, oh, uh, but it when it matter. works for you. No, 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 no. The point is, is when you have four guys averaging eighteen points a game, then how do you not point to that as a strength? Because that's what makes the Clippers the Clippers. My point was with the um, the Lakers and the Trailblazers, which is who we were talking about. That's not what makes them them. The Trailblazers are essentially Nurkic, Lillard, McCollum. The Lakers are LeBron and AD, but the Clippers, the Clippers are Kawhi, Paul George, Lou Williams, Harrell, and Marcus Morris, and Reggie Jackson, and Patrick Beverly. Like, you you know, we sit here and we talk about the Sixers and how they're the most poorly constructed roster maybe in the history of basketball. Yes. The Clippers are one of the better constructed teams ever.
1: (laughs) And the thing that concerns me, the thing they haven't proven all year, is the one-two fit.
0: I don't care. They beat the Lakers two out of three times. You want want to talk one-twos? They beat the Lakers two out of three times. And one one of them was without Paul George.
1: Lakers won the last
0: one. I don't
1: care. And what did it look like? Here's the important part. This is the same week that LeBron faced off against Giannis and basically showed him, no, 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 I'm the boss, get out. I'm MVP. This was the same week as that. They then go and play the Clippers, and LeBron takes Kawhi to town. Absolutely mans him. There's the difference. And now Kawhi, I know we will turn it on in the playoffs, and I know he doesn't care at all about the regular season, and he differs from LeBron there. But you saw it firsthand. I mean, it was a man among boys out there. LeBron just wanted it. And that's scary to me. If you're the Clippers,
0: that's scary to me. And I just want to point out, like, you look at that game – Kawhi was good, he wasn't great, and Kawhi's going to be great in the playoffs. We've seen it. LeBron's going to be great. How many, how many times do we need LeBron to prove will, it, though?
1: LeBron will finish with 35 and 15 assists almost every game. I don't know
0: if he will. That's, he that's doesn't, insane. He doesn't do it when Kawhi guards him. You go look at back at those finals when they played each other, when Kawhi was on the Spurs and LeBron was on the Heat. Who gave him trouble? It was Kawhi Leonard. That's what made Kawhi Kawhi at the beginning was because he gave LeBron James, LeBron James, the great LeBron James, he gave him trouble.
1: It's going to be a debate that can only be solved one way, and it's going to be solved this year. I think they'll face off in the Western Conference Final.
0: You say LeBron went off. He had an okay game. It was Avery Bradley who won that game for them who had 24 points.
1: Here's what LeBron did, though. He controlled the game. And that's what I want to... Po- okay, no, 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 no. Don't look okay. at me like that. It's,
0: it's not like we remember. I'm I do, I'm
1: I do. Sorry. This was one of the best oh, games God. I saw all year. This was one of the best games I saw all year. When LeBron got the ball and wanted to dribble on Kawhi, he manhandled him. And when Kawhi wanted to do the Seven same for thing... 7 for 17 it was, is
0: not manhandling him. It. it was I'm like just,
1: the 2K animation, though. When, when, when Kawhi got the ball against LeBron, he would have it at the wing and then, like, dribble in and kind of, sort of, make his way to the free-throw line and then have nothing to do with the ball. He'd pick up his dribble and be like, ah, crap, where do I pass out to?
0: But the point is here is, like, you look at that game, there were so many Lakers who had just, or, I'm sorry, so many Clippers who had just uncharacteristically bad performances. I mean, Marcus Morris went... 0 for 9, 0 for 7 from 3. That's uncharacteristic for him. Lou Williams went 3 for 11, had 7 points. That's uncharacteristic for him. Reggie Jackson only had 8. I mean, Paul George had a great game, by the way. Uh, not a great matchup for Paul George sitting over there on that That's Lakers, true. Lakers sideline. Just throwing that out there. Um, he had 31, and he's a problem for them. Um, so it, it can go either way. I think we agree on that. But I just, I like the depth of the Clippers. You value the depth, and, and I value
1: LeBron and AD? Fair enough. The Lakers and Clippers are tied
0: for first with 17 wins against teams 500 or better. Two wins more than any other team. So our standout guest today is Keith Scales. We were both teammates of Keith at various points, and then he went on to pitch at Worcester Polytechnic Institute up in Massachusetts. Um, And we're super excited to have him today, and he helps continue our trend of trying to amplify black voices.
1: Yeah, Keith was a starting pitcher that we played with a couple years for the end of his high school career. Went up to college, battled some injuries while he was up there, so we'll be interested to hear about his rehab through his athletic career. And then also, obviously, we'll be
0: looking forward to hearing his take on the current protests about Black Lives Matter. All right, so Keith, we're going to jump right in. Um, So we talked to Grant and Nate last week um, about the protests and Black Lives Matter. Uh, We just want to hear how you're feeling about the past week. What's your mindset?
2: Well, the only thing that I feel that has popped up in the past week is that it's just become more exposed. One thing about racism, you can notice a trend that it really hasn't gotten worse per se. It's just gotten more televised. It's gotten more exposure due to social media. And that's really what's going on now. We're seeing the police brutality. We're seeing everything from what's starting with Trayvon Martin's when it really got bad in 2012. And then from then on, it's just been a series of black killings. And it's not really something good to see. It's not something good to feel when your mother has to worry about you walking out of the door every day. But, you know, hopefully that's, that's one thing that I hope that we can change, especially now with all the peaceful protesting, all the protesting period going on across the country. And hopefully something can change with all of that
1: just talking to your like teammates and coaches in the past week have you been talking to them do they share sort of the same sentiment about this stuff uh, just wondering how you've been communicating with others about this issue
2: well most of my the thing is with my team most of my team is majority white we have two black kids we have two Indian kids and uh, two Asian kids actually out of 38 guys so six out of those 38 are people of color and then the rest are white so The good thing about it is we're a very tight-knit squad. Anybody on my team would go to bat for me and I for them, so that's one thing. I know they're always looking out for me. There's nothing I have to worry about, especially either from them or their parents. I know they always do the right thing, and especially I've seen my teammates, like when we've gone out, whether we've been at parties or anything, if I've had anything inappropriate said to me or anything offensive that my teammate knew I would find offensive, they would, before I could even get a chance to talk to the person, they let them know, hey, that's not okay. Shut that down right now, or I'll have to shut it down.
0: So ha- has that dialogue helped you at all, or has that helped them in any way becoming more educated about the issue?
2: I definitely feel like it helps them become more educated about the issue because me, it's, that's something I live every day. It's something I grew up with. It's not really anything new, but for them, it's not something they can experience. It's something they can only learn from. It's something that if I don't tell them or they don't experience themselves, they may not go out and try and get this knowledge and try and do anything else. But I haven't really had any bad experiences with my teammates doing anything absurd, like being disrespectful or trying to offend anything like that.
0: Um, so... Just to round out the discussion about the protests and Black Lives Matter, how can we, as two white guys, continue to educate ourselves um, and continue to learn about this issue and help talk to other people about it?
2: I feel like it's one, using the platform that you have. So, I especially what you're doing now. You talked to Nate and Grant last week, you're talking to me this week. That's a great start, one, especially like just getting the voice, getting the message out there. Two, Educating yourself on the issue is just basically going out as you've done, like going out, listening to what's going on, what, how people, you know, black people feel about it, what exactly they, what exactly struggles they've had to go through, what you can do as an ally in order to help that out. And one thing I definitely suggest is just doing any research you can, any and going out to any of your white friends that you know, don't understand that anything that anything that they do that seems inconsistent with your beliefs and your values, definitely call them out on it just so that that issue isn't perpetuated over time again and again.
0: So just to transition now to you as an athlete, what was it like having your senior season taken away this year because of
2: COVID-19? It was definitely a terrible feeling only solely because I had my season taken away last year by injury. I partially tore my UCL. So I had to sit out my entire junior season rehab all throughout the summer. And this was basically what I was looking forward to. This is the only reason I was in school, to be honest, because I could have graduated early and not been in Massachusetts anymore. (laughs) But uh, no, it was definitely a terrible feeling, especially down in Florida. At least the greatest thing, though, is our coach made us like let us have fun it was just a fun week we had 10 games where we could just go all out and have fun but after having worked so hard to try and get back to where i was like on top my freshman year and try to get there get back rehab to have this senior season be my best of my career and have it taken away it definitely was not a great feeling
1: if it's possible can you look on like your entire college career uh, in, a, is it possible to look on it in more of a positive light? Like what can you look back on and remember uh, those good memories or those bad memories, whatever you can remember, how would you summarize your college career?
2: I had a pretty, I wouldn't say mediocre, but it was just an average career to be honest, because I had a phenomenal freshman year and I had a regular season ERA, I think two seven nine. And then including that, they jumped in the postseason. <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about that. And then uh, my sophomore year, they called me sophomore slump scales. <laughs> it was fun. It was not not my greatest year. So I went from a great year down to a terrible year. And then my junior year, I was having pretty good time. I used that summer. I played after my sophomore year. I played up in Massachusetts, played in the Futures League. I had a good time, had a good, like, being around good baseball guys. Got my head right where it needed to be in order to be good again, be dominant again. And then, unfortunately, the first day of practice in the spring, I tore my, you know, I sprained it. And then when we went down to Florida, I tried to rehab it up until then, we went down to Florida, that's when I partially tore it. Couldn't, (laughs) it was a funny story. I literally, like, was feeling good that day. And I was like, it's kind of irritating me. And then, like, the next morning, I couldn't, like, bend my arm past, like, 60 degrees.
0: So what's it like rehabbing an injury like that?
2: It's long, especially like if it happens, especially like the amount of time that I had before I had to start. So like I had an entire year since I, January 21st was the day that I sprained it. And so it was basically just rehab from that day on, even up to March 11th, which is the day that I partially tore it. I'd say up until, Sometime in April, like early April, I was just told to rest, not do anything. And then from then on, it was just constant rehab, constant band work. And it sucked. At first, it was good because my shoulders and my elbow were weak. So it only take like 30 minutes to be done. But then as I got much stronger and everything like progressed very well, which I was thankful for. And everything progressed well. The workouts turned into one and a half, two hour workouts. So that's when, then that's the point where it just got sucky.
1: <laughs> In that period of your career, did you find any like outside interests because of your lack of ability to play on the field? Uh, like any outside interests that kind of drove you off the field?
2: I've always been big into music. Music's been always been like a big thing to me. Like whether that be composing, playing, or <laughs> <laughs> uh, like producing music. So that's that's one thing I definitely got even more focused on like i still spent all my time in practice i would always be in practice supporting teaching like the younger kids whatever but that's one thing i also like use that as expression as well to get out any frustration that i had with dealing with that mess
1: as a fellow musician i'm gonna let you use this platform uh if you want to shamelessly plug your source if you got like a SoundCloud page or anything and you want to plug it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. But, uh, the SoundCloud I would throw out there, would be actually horrible. Maybe, maybe I'll have to watch it another time. And
0: <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> so, so what's next for you? What's going on?
2: Oh, right now I'm just working at a grocery store. Just trying to buy my time until, uh, I go to school in the fall, I do a, get my master's in aerospace engineering or start my master's in aerospace engineering at university of Cincinnati. And then from then I'll start my job with GE aviation, working on uh, plane engines. I think I'm contracted for like the next six years. And then after that, I don't know, hopefully I can just get some more education and hopefully get a doctorate at some point and then call me Dr. Scales. I'll hop back on here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so how'd you find your way into that?
2: Actually a funny story, I wish I could I had I've had a couple friends who were involved in uh, GE G Aviation before. And so I asked them, I was wondering like how exactly they got that opportunity, what exactly they went through. And so especially being up in uh, Massachusetts is right there in Boston. It a really popular spot. So granted, me not being wanting to be in Massachusetts anymore, I was like, okay, I'll look at what else they have. They offered me a job. I applied like following all my friends' advice last year for an internship for the last summer. Thankfully got it, got out in Cincinnati. And that was just a great experience then. I had a great bosses. Everybody around me was like had a like great, very supportive, had a great time, did my work well. And then after that I applied for this Edison program, which is basically they pay for your masters and like you work three different rotational jobs in the first three years while you get your master's. And it was a perfect fit. I love it.
0: Did baseball or the team in any way play a role in helping you get there?
2: Absolutely. Team, just being a team in general, having a team attitude has definitely helped me work in groups, especially coming from WPI. WPI is a group project-based school, so everything is group. Everything is with a team. And especially me being a leader, having been a leader since... My freshman year, honestly, on that team, has given me even even past high school, where I was a leader. Then, hopefully, <laughs> you were.
0: I can vouch for that. You were.
2: I appreciate that, Joey. <laughs> even moving past, like starting my freshman year, being a leader, then just give me gave me different skills in order how to deal with certain people, how to act, how to basically support people if they don't know exactly what they should be doing, whether that pertains to fellow interns or treating different co-workers a certain way in order to get the most out of them and get the most benefit so we can get a project done the quickest.
1: In an attempt to sort of tie things all together, do you see your future role like with GE or in aerospace at all? Uh, do you see your role allowing a platform for yourself to speak about racial inequality and justice? Um, do you, Do you see that being a part of your job at all in the future?
2: I mean, absolutely. Any platform I have, I'd love to use to just tell people and tell a story of what's wrong and why everything needs to change. And honestly, I feel like we're on the right track now. And even with my 290-something followers on Twitter, I still let them know from time to time, like, hey, this is bad. This is what you should be doing. You should be signing petitions. You should be donating. This is in order to help basically end this police brutality. I'm not necessarily saying defund the police, but definitely something needs to happen. And hopefully I can get a big enough role with GE, whereas I can globally announce that and everybody would have no choice, but to listen. It would be a great thing in order to just be able to promote that racial equality.
0: Well, thank you, Keith. We appreciate it. Thank you. I thought it
1: was great to hear that Keith's team always had his back being on a majority white team. I'm sure it can't be easy for a black athlete, Uh, And we've talked about the locker room culture a little bit in the past, uh, but it's a great place where race doesn't really matter to the players. They all have each other's backs. And I thought that was great to hear.
0: Yeah. You know, it was really sounded like a give and a take. He was there for his team in that leadership role and his team is there for him, not only with the injuries, but now with everything going on, Um, his team has been there for him. And that was really cool to hear, especially from someone who's already graduated and moved on to the workforce. When Jackie Robinson retired in 1956, African-Americans made up 6.7%
1: of major league rosters. Today, African-Americans make up just 7.8% of
0: rosters. Okay, so now it is time to duke it out. Drew, we're going to continue our whip around the country of NFL divisions. So we're going to start today in the North. King in the North. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start in in the the NFC. I know we have a little bit of a different look there, so go ahead. We do.
1: I got Packers big time. I'm really feeling the Packers this year. I don't know why. I think Jordan Love kind of pushes Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers might not get injured this year, which would be a shock. But I have the Packers going 12-4. and 4-2 and in a tough division, though. Followed by the Bears and the Vikings both at 9-7. and 7. And the Lions, bottom dwellers, going for the first pick in the draft
0: at 3-13. Don't quite get it, though. So we're on the same page with the Bears and the Lions. Interesting, we both have the Bears at 9 and 7. I think that'll surprise a lot of people, but go look at that schedule. It's not that difficult. It's not. And all they need is for Mitchell Trubisky to be okay. Yep. <laughs> they don't even need him to be good. They which, have a great defense. Which to defense. be
1: fair to Bears fans, we know that's a leap. <laughs> yes. Yes, we, we know, but
0: it's possible. We're we're interesting, we both ended up at 9 and 7 and agreed Detroit bottom dwellers 3 and 13, but we differed a little bit at the top. I have both the Vikings and the Packers going 11-5, and five, mm-hmm. and I think the Vikings continue to be criminally underrated. Kirk Cousins does his job and nothing more. I understand that. But, but- you,
1: you already just listed the reason why they're underrated or why people think that they're bad and they should think that they're not that
0: good. Well, can I make my point Kurt about Kirk Cousins. Uh, yeah, but Kirk Cousins had a much better year last year than you think he did, first of all. Let's talk about big games, though. He's got the
1: Dak thing. Put them in the same category. He's what makes me concerned for their team.
0: Can't win the big games. I think the big games thing is a little bit overblown. I won't lie to you. Um, first of all, twenty six touchdowns, six interceptions last year. Uh, passer rating of one hundred and seven. That's that's top of the league. That's quality. really good. That's really good. Um, and he erased some of those demons last year. He won a playoff game. So this is true. We can talk about big games. All we won. He won a playoff game. So I think he's gotten rid of those demons to some extent um and I also just think that you look at Dalvin Cook you look at a healthy Thielen they did a good job of replacing Diggs in the draft um and then you go continue on you look at that defense there's not really a hole on this roster
1: they did as well as they could have I think in replacing Diggs in the draft but losing Diggs that's big that's really big and you're now relying on Thielen to come back totally healthy I mean, he was not himself
0: last year. You know, but He was I not think, himself. I think Justin Jefferson is good enough to beat Diggs, frankly. That's challenging to me. That's challenging. I, I really do. I'm, I Diggs was high is on, an established starter. I, I was high on Jefferson going into the draft. I'm still high on Jefferson.
1: Um, I'm never that high on guys coming right out of the draft to say that they can compare with Stefan Diggs. That's I hear, I, hear,
0: I hear you, but I just think they have a complete roster. I think Dalvin Cook can be even better. I do I too. Mean, I mean, I too. It, it's it's a that scary, scary good roster if he shows up. And I understand the <laughs> lockout; I mean, they'll they'll figure that out. I think out. so too. They, do they too. always will. And nothing against the Packers. I just think that um, I mean eleven and five and getting in the playoffs is not a knock in any way. No. Um, I just think they continue to like ignore the fact that they don't help Rodgers out at all. Um, and it catches up with them slightly. They go from 13-3 and 3 to 11-5, not a knock. Um, now, switching over to the AFC, we both have Baltimore doing really, 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 really well. Surprising. Super Bowl winners for me, and I think the same for you, right?
1: Yes, same for me here. But who do I have them up against in the Super Bowl? The Green Bay Packers, but anyways, let's go to the AFC North for a second. <laughs>
0: that is interesting. I, you know, I have the Vikings <laughs> for the record uh, to finish that point about the NFC. I had the Vikings going all the way to the NFC Championship, and they lose, and we'll tell you who they lose to next week. But they lose
1: in the AFC North. I have Ravens at fourteen and two. I mean, come on. I'm totally with you there. Here's what's crazy though: is I have them four and two in the division. I have five and one in the division. I'm right there with you. So both losses for me in the division. And they come against teams that I think are both going to be underrated this year. The Steelers and the Browns. Why do I believe in the Browns? My hot take of the season. Baker Mayfield finishes as a top 10 quarterback.
0: Not a fantasy top 10 quarterback. A top 10 quarterback. Okay, so here's my question. Last week when we talked about it, you could give Dak Prescott no credit. No, I, ca- I will give him credit. None. None. You, you you continue to not give him credit, and you're gonna sit here and tell me Baker Mayfield after the year that he just had is gonna jump Dak and be a top ten quarterback.
1: I never Come said that. I never said on. that Dak will not be a top ten quarterback. In fact, I think he will be. However, I have Dak and the Cowboys going eight and eight because of their schedule in part, and I have the Browns going nine and seven in a conference where they will go two and four, or sorry, in a division where they will go two and four because their schedule is a joke. This is the Browns' year. If it's any year for Baker to finally become Baker and the Browns to
0: finally do it, to finally make the playoffs, it's this year. I just don't buy it for this year. I have them eight and eight. They're just out of the playoffs for me. Um, But the Steelers do get in at nine and seven. I'm with you on the Steelers. Got them Um, 10 and six. Yep. I'm worried about that. I won't lie. Like, out of all the predictions that I have talked about uh, over the last two episodes where we've talked about the NFL, I am the least confident in my nine and seven for the Steelers prediction because that roster has holes. Yes. Juju took a step back. Yes. Who the fuck knows what we're going to get from Ben Roethlisberger? No one. And Ben Roethlisberger continues to be overrated because he was good five, six years ago. Yes. Um, so. And yet, I have to go in through their schedule. Yeah. So. The
1: Steelers and the Browns both benefit this year from schedules. Uh, what they also benefit from is the fact that they have guys that can make the plays. I mean, the Browns have Odell. To t- to discredit them for him having Odell, you can't do that. Although, it's Odell Beckham Jr. O- Odell,
0: you- Odell was worse with Baker than he was with yes. Eli.
1: Yes, but we're. I think this year we find out if that's actually true. This That's why I think they take a step forward. As for the Steelers, this, I don't really know. I I think both of these teams are kind of toss-ups, but the Steelers are interesting at least because you still have a future Hall of Fame quarterback and he hasn't Phillip rivers himself
0: yet. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And James Conner... I think James Conner can be James Conner of two years ago. I do too. I I do believe that. Um, I think Tomlin's
1: a great coach too. Yeah. He always coaches his teams better than they should be. Fun
0: fact, Tomlin has never finished below 500. Crazy. Incredible. I mean, Um, he's had some bad teams. I mean, he had Duck Hodges playing quarterback last year and got them to 8 and 8. So that's why I give the Steelers that 9 and 7. Tomlin's a big reason why you took my point. I was about to say it. Sorry, boy. But it's interesting that we both have the Ravens and not the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. That, that so, is interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that once we get to the Chiefs. So that's all for this week with the NFL. The last time
1: the Browns won a playoff game was in 1995 against the New England Patriots. Ironically, the Browns were coached by Bill
0: Belichick. Cheater. That's all for this episode, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We have a great episode teed up for you guys next time. Another great standout guest that we're super excited about. Um, And then we're going to continue our whip around of the NFL divisions with the South.
1: I always look forward to talking about NFC South in particular, being a Falcons fan. Uh, It's not going to be pretty for us this year, but a lot of action. A lot of new faces down there, obviously, with Tom Brady and such. So looking forward to talking about that. You've been listening to The Fallout. Thanks for tuning in.